I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers on crime realities versus crime perceptions. Crime continues to be a top concern for New Yorkers, but are the perceptions matching the realities? We're told that in some areas, crime is down, shootings are down, things are improving, and yet every day we hear these stories of very disturbing types of crimes and especially violence on the subway system. We brought together a panel to break this all down for us from different perspectives and try get, and get a handle on what's really going on. Joining me is Ralph Salento. He's a former NYPD Lieutenant Commander of Detectives and a Professor of Police Science at John Jay College. Ralph, thanks so much for being with us. Hello, Lisa. Hi, we appreciate it. Also with us is Rashid Littlejohn. He's the founder of the Guns for Grants organization. They get have People turn in guns and in exchange get a chance to get a college education along with support to help them make that happen. Rashid, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me again. We really appreciate it. Also with us is New York City Council Member Robert Holden from Queens. He's a member of the Public Safety Committee and outspoken about crime that's been going on. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Lisa. We really appreciate it. Ralph, I want to start with you on this. We've been told that things are getting better from what you see and from your police background. What do you think is happening? Well, I mean, any reduction in crime is a positive thing. So the, uh, the numbers don't lie, uh, but the, the perception on the street is that people don't feel safe, particularly with this uh, rise in subway crime. Uh, there's no putting a happy face on that. Uh, subway crime is out of control. Uh, it's eventually going to lead to changes in executive leadership in the police department, I would think. Uh, but there's a general fear of uh, concern for uh, disorder and lawlessness, uh, specifically in the subway. So it, it's the perception of what's out there. Crimes seem to be getting more violent uh, and uh, the police are trying hard, but uh, they're limited by certain things that they can do. Rashid, from your viewpoint, because you're out in the communities, you're out on the streets, Police department recently did a, a major takedown with gangs in Brownsville and 10 public housing uh, developments there. What do you see happening? Are, are things getting better or are they still, still the same problems? I mean, I think things are getting better. I think some of those record-branding shooting numbers that we saw over COVID was due to what was happening at the time, the influx of cash. I think similar to 2019, where we were talking about how shootings have been down the most in the last decade, uh, then we've seen these things come back. I think it's starting to get back to less crime happening in the community. And a lot of these situations that happen on the train are isolated. I, I, I ride the train very often. I take the kids on the train when we do trips. We go to St. Francis, we're in Brooklyn, we're on the train. And there's never a moment where I feel like we are unsafe. I think the train has always kind of been, you have to be alert because nobody's, you know, you know, dictating who can ride the trains. Mental illness is an, is an issue. Uh, uh, rising numbers of, of homelessness is an issue. So what we just try to do is make sure that we keep one another safe when we're riding on the trains. And as it pertains to like the gang violence with the big uh, takedowns and a lot of the young guys that are caught up, a lot of that stuff is also isolated. It's specific groups who stick to specific areas. And these are the issues that occur. I think that these things live in a bubble. But once you add media to it, and we just had a had a big governor race, you know, and it was this whole conversation on one of the governors who spoke more about the crime that was happening to kind of conflate that New York City isn't as safe. I, I don't really feel that way. All right. Well, um, New York City Council Member Robert Holden, you sit on the Public Safety Committee. You hear a lot of the reports and see a lot of the information that comes out. 
what is your take on where we're at right now? What are you hearing from your people? Well, I, my constituents, um, not crime is number one, uh, the number one concern for them. And and I think anybody that's been on the subway sees it. I see it every time I ride the subway. Some person that seems unstable, uh, you don't know what they're going to do. They're ticking time bombs. And you, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you can have a problem on the subways or on the streets of New York. Uh, by the way, if anybody walks the streets of any borough, you will see mayhem in the form of just go into any drugstore or um, uh, any store and you'll see everything is kind of locked up, especially, uh, you know, the uh, the Walgreens or the CBSs or you'll see everything behind glass. Now, you can't buy anything unless you call an attendant to open it up. We all see that. And those crimes are not being reported. Most of the stores have given up even reporting it. So any any um, drop in crime that we're told is happening is not really true. What we see in New York is people going through red lights regularly, people riding on the sidewalk with uh, scooters. Uh, now the number one crime that we're seeing is these guys on scooters come up and they just drag a, a you know a young girl, twelve year old girl. We saw in Queens, which we saw in Queens recently, yeah. a twelve year old girl dragged along with her chain yeah. in the scooter. And it's and it, I just the other day I was I rode past uh, a school in my district. And there were three guys on two scooters uh, and you on the sidewalk. And so, I, you know, we called the police and those scooters were stolen and there was an arrest made. So we're seeing it every every day in New York City. Yes, we had higher crime in the 70s, 80s that I lived through, but we got out of that and we got out of it in, in, in a smart way. We're not it doesn't look like we're getting out of anything, by the way, in crime. Well, so you're, Lisa, so is, I, it, is, it, is it accurate to say you're you're saying that the the number that these percentages and these numbers don't really reflect the totality of the picture of what's happening? I'm saying that, but crime is up this year. If anybody looks at the stats, I looked at them this morning in preparation for this. Crime is up 28 percent in New York City overall crime, and my uh, Queens Patrol Borough North, it's up 50 percent. We lead the city in in the rise in crime in my in my district so this is a this is a big issue for everyone here anybody that denies it is not really telling the truth dealing with reality all right we're going to take a short break we'll come back with more we're talking with our panel about crime perceptions versus crime realities stay with us we'll be back right after this hey what up y'all this is lloyd the king of hearts and this is street soldiers with lisa evers real issues real politics and real people only on hot 97 you did welcome back to this episode of street soldiers i'm your host lisa evers we're talking about crime realities and crime perceptions joining us for this conversation ralph salento he's a former nypd lieutenant commander of detectives and also a professor of police science at John Jay College. Ralph, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate it. Also with us is Rashid Littlejohn. He's the founder of Guns for Grants. Rashid, thank you so much for being with us. How you doing? We appreciate it. Um, also with us is New York City Council Member Robert Holden from Queens. He's a member of the Public Safety Committee. Robert, thank you so much for being with us. Great to be here. And, and guys, please please feel free to jump in with each other as, as much as possible. The... Um, in, in terms of the, let's talk about the subway, for, for example. A lot of the crimes that are taking place on the subway seem to be with mentally disturbed people, with people who are totally unpredictable. One moment they're standing there, the next minute they're pushing somebody on onto the subway tracks. What does that do to somebody's, just their mental health and their feeling of safety, Ralph? Well, 
there's actually a lot of things going on there at the same time. One of the th it's like a multi-level problem. One of them is access to the system. When they stopped prosecuting fair beaters, everyone's just jumping the turnstiles. So where the where the gate has to be put up has to be even entering the system, right? When people are paying fares to be on the subway, uh, most probably they're not going to commit crimes or probably more accurate to say everyone who does commit a crime on the subway, it, it's probably a fair assumption they didn't pay to get into the system. So we have to start right there. And this goes back to a ripple effect of prior administration saying that we're not going to enforce certain crimes. We're not going to enforce fair beating. And then everyone's accessing the system. So I agree with what um, uh, Councilman Holden was saying and Rashid at the same time, like they were both right. Uh, if you ride the subway every day, uh, you build up kind of a, a self-awareness uh, of what's around you, right? But at the same time, uh, Robert's right in that people feel fear and they feel that there's disorder. So the, one of the ways, at least uh, it's multifaceted, but one of the ways to uh, significantly reduce subway crime is to control who enters the system. Now, I'm not saying that if everybody pays to enter the system, the mentally ill and homeless are just going to go away, right? We're going to have to deal with them in, in a humane and smart way. But it, it, stopping people uh, from entering the system uh, is one way, at least uh, a beginning way, to control who enters I and think that will control the crime. I think that that then sometimes gets racialized and then you have more uh, cops at New Lots Avenue on the three train in Brooklyn than what you may have at Columbus Circle as if tourists at Columbus Circle won't walk through that gate as soon as the gate opens. As a kid that's from New York City, people beat fears wherever they see a door open in a train terminal. Uh, they're just going to walk through the door. So if we're going to talk about specific mental health issues and concerns that are happening with people who are actually getting on a train, we have to start diagnosing these individuals. Are we talking about people who are clear minded, who are looking to use a gun, a knife to rob somebody? Or are we talking about people who have a mental disability or some type of mental issue and they come from a community that has not been met with those needs and we kind of need to meet the needs way before they even get to the train station. So I think that what, what I don't want to see happen is now we start doing the stop and frisk situation when it comes to the turnstiles and the trains and we're only going to see a bunch of police officers at more of the black and brown communities when we know people beat fears across New York City and mental and health is, is, is throughout the city. Stop question and frisk was found to be racially profiling black and brown men mostly at really high percentages, and it was it was you know it was shown to be violating their constitutional rights. It was a there's a federal law or yeah, not a federal law, a federal judge uh, ruled against it. Right. But is, but let me ask you this: we're now we're now in 2022, 2023. There's new technology being used. Is it possible to have enforcement of people who? are carrying guns into the train system without having to without having to violate the rights of every person of color or every person who's in a under-resourced community without having to violate their rights. Yeah, 100%. So this is why I'm saying we're sort of all agreeing on the same topic, but in different ways, because what Rashid is saying, uh, I happen to agree with, right? It shouldn't be necessary to put your hands on everybody all the time, right? So we are in the age of technology, you know, why don't we get some grant funding, put a lot more cameras in the system. So what I was suggesting about controlling who enters the system, that's one of many ways 
that you can reduce subway crime. We can't ignore what Robert is saying either, which is uh, personal responsibility uh, is a, a necessary uh, uh, a necessary tool when it comes to fight. Everyone's responsible for their own actions. So uh, I'm not suggesting that we let off uh, people of color for committing crimes, but I'm not suggesting we let off uh, Caucasian people either. All I'm saying is the fair application of the law. And then if you happen to be black, you happen to be black. What I'm saying is I agree with Rashid in the fact that let's let's saturate the subway system with technology that helps fight crime. And one of one of those ways is to put cameras in the subway systems so that people can watch, create some safe spaces that are pleased where people can go. Right. But another way to do that in its infancy stages is 100 percent to control who enters the system. Don't forget how many tens of millions of dollars the MTA loses every year. You see, I mean, the videos, listen, the and, and Ralph, that I, I'm out, I'm out in the trains and the train stations a lot of times reporting on these stories too. It's like, even with a, even with a TV camera there, this at the Times Square station, people are walking right, all kinds of people, young, old, in between. They're just like, it, it's like everybody's walking in like, do you even I mean, have to there's, there's, a, there's a New York culture when it comes to fair evasion. That's not a thing about poverty. That's not a thing about skin color. You see that door fly open anywhere, Columbus Circle, downtown. It doesn't matter where you are. Anyone is going to look to be the buck. I could be next to St. Francis and a door opens at Hoyt Street, Skimmerhorn, that has a, a, a police station inside the terminal. That door flies open. You're going to see people walk through. Yeah, so but not anyone, uh, Rashid, not anyone. I've never done it. Most of the people on okay, this call. Well, I'm just. No, no, I'm not but, saying I would never generalize. No, but we're saying how common. We're saying. I'm, I'm saying how how common it is. There I mean, is very how, much of a culture. I would say most New Yorkers wouldn't go. I would say most New Yorkers wouldn't uh, jump a turnstile or go through a get open gate. I think that's. I think it's. It's again. It it needs to be enforced. We need to have rules. The same rules for everyone. That means you're going to jump a turnstile. You you should expect to be stopped by. Uh, whether it's an officer or security or someone, uh, we can't just have. Robert, do you take pay. the train? By the way, the city, the, council pay, the city council passed fair fares. If you if you can't afford a subway ticket, you know, subway token or or a subway fare, there's things, there are programs that'll get you uh, a, a discounted rate. So. I mean, but even when we had officers all throughout the train stations that when people to, uh, uh, hopped over the turnstile or walked through the gate and here's your ticket for however many hundreds of bucks, it didn't prevent it from happening because people would not show up to court most of the times or, you know, unless we were catching somebody with a warrant, which most people in the city don't have a warrant. I think that the uh, the conversation is addressing the culture, the poverty, the people that just want to uh, get away from paying a, a fare. And if you put pe people at uh, Times Square, as Lisa just said, OK, 15 people walk through the door. Are the police going to lock up 15 people at one time frame? So I think that there's a multitude of things happening that we can't just piece by oh, piece. No, the MTA has it has its own. Robert, do you want to do you want to speak to that? Because there, I mean, the MTA put out video, just surveillance video. Of and it was anybody. It, it was there were like so, there were so yeah, many was, people. But again, it it this is people taking advantage, but because they know it's not being enforced. If you don't enforce certain rules and regulations, it's going to happen. It's going to get out of control. And this is what I'm talking about. Let's start enforcing these, you know, 
let's start enforcing turnstile jumping, jumping and make it, you know, a crime. It is a crime. It's taking advantage and it's hurting the whole system. Well, it, there's, it, there's, again, there's a couple Robert, things going Robert, on. One here. final point yeah. on that, and then we'll take a break. Robert is 100% right, right? So I understand what Rashid's saying, that it's a cultural thing, but that doesn't make it right. You're That's you're stealing is. entry to the system. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, Rashid, just on your numbers, that, that's not correct. When fair beating is enforced, there are precipitous drops in beating the system. Are people going to squeak through? They're always going to squeak through. But uh, when fair beating is aggressively enforced, fair beating goes way down. There are way more drops in fair beating. And that increases uh, uh, monetary intake from the MTA. That goes to improvement on the tracks. It's not a matter of whether you can get away with it. Ethically, it's wrong, right? You're supposed to pay to access the system. And so a lot of where this strubway crime is coming is from people that are fair beating. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that fair beats commits a crime, but I'm saying that everybody that commits a crime has fair beat. No one pays to get into the system and then robs somebody. So I, I think we have to be fair about I understand that it's a cultural issue, but I think we have to be fair about what we're talking about. No, I, when I fair beating is saying. addressed. I agree with the numbers drop way down. Okay, but let's I, also let's also talk about let's we have to take a short break. I want to get into some of the quality of life crimes too, because you, you we talk about the things that like red lights. I mean, I can't believe the number of cars I see just whizzing right through red lights and busy areas. We're going to talk about that, the quality of life. And is that really what's uh, getting New Yorkers, putting New Yorkers on edge? This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yo, what up? This is your homie Ace Hood, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real poly tricks, and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about crime perceptions versus crime realities. And really what we're getting into here, is there a way to have law and order without violating the constitutional rights or the civil rights of people of color, as we saw in the past during the stop and frisk era, where over 90 percent of the arrests did not result of the stops did not result in any type of criminal activity. Over 80 something percent of the people stopped were black and brown men. Many were on their way home from work. We have people coming into Hot 97 early, early in the morning getting stopped. College graduates on their way to their job simply because of the way that they look. So we're talking about are there ways to really get crime under control and make people feel safe? without violating people's rights. Joining us for this conversation, Ralph Salento, former NYPD Lieutenant Commander of Detectives, Professor of Police Science at John Jay College. Also with us, Rashid Littlejohn. He's the founder of Guns for Grants. And also joining us, New York City Council Member uh, Robert Holden from Queens. He's a member of the Public Safety Committee. What about, let's just talk about the subway a little bit more because one of the things that always strikes me is how easy it is, the entry point, it doesn't it doesn't really look like it's stopping anybody. If you go into some of the big midtown office buildings, they have bigger barriers to get through the front lobby than we do at most of our subway stations. I think everybody should pay their fare, but I think inflation is real. I think we just came from COVID with a lot of people losing jobs. We came through a lot of businesses shutting down and we're still dealing with an economic recession. So people of all colors are may take advantage of an opportunity if they can find one. And when it comes to the train station situation, I do agree that everyone should pay their fare. And I do agree with fair law and order, but historically it has never been fair law and order. You could sit patroller officers at a train station in uh, New Lots Avenue in Brownsville, in East New York, 
in Brownsville and you would see what more or less people that would want to evade paying a toll, paying, paying over the turnstile than people at Times Square where you could have a group of tourists who as soon as the door opens, they'll just walk through. So it's everybody should pay. But if we're going to put more time and efforts in black and brown communities, because that's where we believe we're going to get guns and stop crime. But then there's people within some of these affluent communities where people just walk through these doors that are open. Then I think that that is unfair. And I think that that is weaponizing the system against us. I mean, Robert, what about that? If you want to have that conversation about how the law is enforced fairly, I'll talk to you all day about that. And I'm with you. Right. You show me an instance of, uh, of the law that's being uh, enforced in, a, in an unfair or biased way. I'm with you. I'll have that conversation. And we'll do, it, and we'll do a show. We'll do a show on that. Let me bring that. Let, let's bring it back to what's actually ha happening on, on our streets. Why people are afraid to take the system. You have, as, as Robert pointed out, a lot of women that are afraid to ride the subway system. They can't really afford private car services all the time. The taxi, yellow taxi rates are going up. And it, it's just, it's a, it's a real problem. And then you talk about these other crimes. Uh, whatever you want to call them, I, they don't call them crimes, but like what Robert was saying in terms of being in the stores, it's not just the merchandise they're taking, they're robbing other shoppers in the stores as well. So Robert, in terms of these quality of life crimes, is that contributing to this perception that things are out of control? Yeah, again, it's it's when I any, go anywhere and you'll see somebody uh, on a sidewalk with one of those scooters, illegal scooters, some are legal. Uh, I voted against that that bill to make all these e-bikes and e-scooters legal because none of them have insurance or most of them don't. None of them have licenses. They're just riding. We never saw that in New York City. We had some control. Now they're going up one-way streets, uh, on sidewalks, running red lights. It's mayhem in our streets. And if anybody says that the quality of life is okay in New York City, how come so many people are leaving or have left the state and the city? Everyone here knows someone who just said, I, I've given up. This is crazy. Done. Right. It's the Wild West in New York City. We need to get control. And that's why I said, and the detective knows that broken windows work. You handle the quality of life issues and it stops the bigger crimes. Again, and, it's, by the way, it's, let's, let's talk about victims, right? Yes, let's talk so about we, the victims. We don't talk about victims. Unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of the victims of crime are black and Hispanic. And, you know, and in 2021, for instance, Black and Hispanics who made up like what 48 and a half percent of the city's population accounted for 90.7 percent of murder victims in the city, 96.9 of shooting victims percent, 73 of rape victims, 71 percent of robbery victims, so 79.8 percent of felony assault victims. So again, this need this is not a, a racial issue, but who are the victims? We have right. to talk about the victims. So we need enforcement everywhere obviously we need more police and but we need to respect the police nobody fears the police anymore you know that no and it all started with dousing the police officer with water uh, i guess it was 2018 and 19 we, and and de blasio was responsible for well it started before that it started with the da's office saying issuing memos saying that they're not going to prosecute certain crimes so the police department brass are not going to issue edicts that they want all these people arrested for these quiet life crimes when they know that the DEA's office is not going to prosecute them. And that goes to the scooters. That goes to general disorder, quality of life crimes. That goes to petty larcenies in CVS and Rite Aid, where people are coming in shoplifting bags of stuff. 
I mean, there was a Rite Aid or a CVS in the 19th precinct that just said, hey, we give up. They closed their doors and they left. Now right that's all those station, people right from that station. neighborhood and, and by that the way, have to go somewhere else for their prescriptions. And, and, that's that's hurting the neighborhood. And I don't care if you're black and or brown. Jo- and and, and, what and also jobs. Rushy, what, what about that? Because there are we have seen a lot of these stores. There's even, there was even a video of Rite Aid on 34th Street. There was an off-duty NYPD sergeant in uniform, which they're allowed to take these jobs with certain uh, companies off off the regular the regular ship, and the shoplifter came out with a big backpack packed with stuff and just cocked. I mean, just like I mean, I think I think Robert tried to slip in a whole black on black crime myth when he said that the black and brown victims are the victims of these same things that reflect the community. And I mean, when we start to get to the numbers of crime and who commits crime across this nation, you know, that that then becomes an entire conversation of, you know, all of us needing to keep our communities accountable. So within a specific communities, are we addressing the lack of opportunities? Like there's so many things that go into when we talk about crime. Are we talking about homicide versus people who run into a CVS robbing stuff because they needed, you know, essentials for their household? I think that there's a- Yeah, but, yeah, but, but Rashi, I don't, I don't you know buy that, that they're they're not, they they're, not stealing, they're not stealing like- Laundry detergent or or soap and stuff like that. Right. I'm sorry, the, but the Lisa, CVS, the CVS that got closed that that was brought up was was right by our TV station. Pretty much every time I would ever go in there to get a bottle of water or something, there was some kind of incident that was going on where they were trying to stop. Yeah, they rob a, a Louis Vuitton store because they need pocketbooks. Come on, give me a break. Talking about the 34th Street. I mean, there's so many things. Okay, cool. So let's just use the police how we have historically used them to go to the streets and start busting heads. People still economically. No, but I don't think that's. But 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 as we as we're moving forward, we've seen just you, you just you look at with the with the gang issue. You look at the gang issue. They used to take in, they do these sweeps and bring in a hundred people and then sort it all out. Now it's much more focused. They're going after people that that they have pre-indicted, that have been um, that they believe they have evidence to show were actual trigger pullers, actual ones that were using the guns. But but the question is in term in terms of the perception, but and Rashid too, I mean to all of you, it's like we know that in, in under-resourced communities, lower income communities, there always tends to be tends to be more crime but the the way that but let me ask you all this robert is anyone afraid of getting arrested anymore no and and this i just spoke to a lot of uh, precinct commanders nobody's going in to to jail for committing property crimes you know i have uh ceos of the precinct saying you know i keep we keep re-arresting the same individuals stealing cars or catalytic converters or you name it from automobiles and they're out the next day or even same day Everybody knows that's happening. And again, you have to stop this behavior or, again, people are going to move out. But everyone sees it in their neighborhoods. We've had uh, this kind of crime, catalytic converters, uh, are so many being stolen. And it costs the motorist, the, the person, uh, over $1,000 to replace it. But yet it's yeah, Robert, And nobody's I'm, getting I'm caught. Sorry. I have to agree with you, Robert, but I hate to use an old adage, but uh, uh, elections have consequences. It all comes back to the DAs. It all comes back to the the brags of the world. And the DAs are saying, we're not going to prosecute property crimes. I mean, what are the police commanders to do? They are, they are keep rearresting the same people over and over again. It all comes back to the DAs. The DAs are not prosecuting. And this is like an epidemic across the country. You just can't say wholesale, I'm not prosecuting property crimes, which is what's going on. 
that is part of its bail reform and that judges can't consider dangerousness of an individual. The only state in the union, union that, that doesn't have that. So that the people that are dangerous are getting out and yeah. they're doing it again. So this is a, you know, a vicious cycle. So either we're going to get control of this or not. And that's well, what I, I think, think at that point, we got to really address, OK, how many Khalif Browders are in Rikers Island right now? Like I work with Rikers Island with a bunch of young people who are going into our Guns for Grants diversion program who've been sitting in there for 18 months, still haven't seen a judge who's sitting in there waiting for a trial to come. And who knows the situations they're going through? People are just at Rikers. Are there bodies that's dropping dead? People who are dying? So at what point are we going to say, OK, crime is not right. Let's go out there and fight it. But let's also make sure that we create opportunities and we support the people in the communities who are not the majority of the people in the neighborhood. That yeah, no, I mean, I agree well. with that. It's all part of one toxic cocktail that has to be balanced the right way. Right. I mean, if you're asking me, uh, do I think the communities are fine, Rashid? No, absolutely not. So, I mean, there's no other way to say that except for I agree with you 100 percent. But that does, that's not an excuse for breaking the law. Right. And let's just say that I was at I was at 100 Center Street criminal court on a weekday for a very high profile case. But the, it was like a ghost town. I've been there on holidays. I've been there at night for night court for on different cases and story assignments. I said to one of the one of the officers, the court officers, I said, what? Why is this so empty? I've never seen it like that. And he, he said, they're just there's no cases. They're not doing trials. They're not doing there's a whole slowdown. So there's that whole slowdown of the criminal justice system. And then there's what Rashid is talking about with people waiting in Rikers Island to have their cases move forward that yep. should have moved forward a long, long time ago. And then on the other hand, we hear these cases of people that, you know, shoplifting over 100 arrests, people with gun possession uh, cases, over, you know, uh, and very and violent felony assaults with, over and over and over again. They're, be, they're being let out. But we're going to continue this conversation, Crime Perceptions versus Crime Realities. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Salute. This is General Steele from Smith & Wesson. And right now you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl, Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about crime perception and crime reality. Joining us for this conversation, Ralph Salento. He's a former NYPD Lieutenant Commander of Detectives and a professor of police science at John Jay College. Also with us is Rashid Littlejohn. He's the founder of Guns for Grants. And also joining us, New York City Council Member Robert Holden. He's a member of the Public Safety Committee. Let me ask all of you, give each of you a chance to respond to this. So Ralph, is it really getting worse or is it really getting better? I think given the roadblocks we have up with enforcing the law, I think it's getting worse and I think it's going to continue to get worse. Uh, bail reform is killing us. They're letting people right back out. And uh, the, the, the prosecutors who just flatly refuse to prosecute crimes, that has to be dealt with. But it has to be dealt with through elections. Uh, demonizing the police doesn't help. Defunding the police doesn't help. Uh, the lack of respect for the police doesn't help. So uh, we, need, uh, we need to reverse all that. There has to be community buy-in. Uh, and we have to start doing the little things to stop uh, to stop basic quality of life crime. Uh, when you have quality of life crime, it creates the perception that if I can get away with little things, I'll get away with big things. And when we go back to earlier in the show, we were talking about, to Rashid about it. And uh, Robert, uh, I think you need to have um, 
a stopping point right at the subway system and deal with fare beaters once and for all. And that will stop uh, miscreants from getting into the system. And, and it, it, we have to at least try. We can't keep going the way we're going. Nothing is getting done and violent crime is getting worse. I, I agree with the detective. We need to really uh, get rid of the cashless bail system. Let's talk about Charles Barry, the poster child for bail reform, bragging that he couldn't be stopped by the police. He was arrested for the 140th time. And he said he's going to continue to commit crimes because he, they keep letting him out. So this is only one example, but it's really kind of systemic in New York State. By the way, crime dropped for 27 straight years up until bail reform was instituted and passed in Albany in uh, 2019, in the fall of 2019. And is it a coincidence, detective, that we've had crime go up every year since? Well, it's not a coincidence. Right. No. Rashid, what do you th what what is your take about this? Do you think do you think uh, you I think that there's eight million plus people in New York City, and if we uh, conflate these random incidences as this is just a trend that is happening in our communities, it's being disingenuous. I think that when we really scope in, we can see most of these situations have their own specific issues, and it doesn't speak for the community at large. And at large, we're still in dealing with the impacts of COVID and communities that need a lot of resources in our communities. Now, when it comes to uh, bail reform, I think about people who are still stuck in Rikers right now for longer than what their crime has, you know, even been for. So how are we going to deal with the individuals in a system that is still broken when there's people who need support, who should be on their way home now for something petty, but they're still sitting there. And when it comes to the train station and having more police at these terminals, lock up everybody. You make sure that they're at Times Square, make sure they're at Columbus Circle, make sure they're at Yankee Stadium. Don't just put them in a ghetto into the neighborhoods to lock up more black and brown people when it's about fair evasion. That's a New York culture thing where I'm a New York kid, people have to turn style everywhere and sometimes in front of offices. Yeah, once what in a while, the, uh, I'd like to hear somebody talk about the victims, Rashid, and there's more victims. You're worrying about a small percentage of people that are in Rikers, and I do worry, but I was on criminal justice and we do we did visit, and it's a mess over there. We understand that, and we need to put more resources. We haven't built new jails uh, or renovated that that location, and that cost, that, that cost us, uh, obviously, in quality of life in those jails. But what about the victims? I'm, I'm at so many uh, council hearings on public safety or in council hearings. Nobody talks about the victims of crime, like I mentioned before. So let's let's start. You should think about I mean, the victims. We work with you the victims. Think about the victims in your neighborhood. I, I, I mean, I work in a community where we work with victims. Our goal is to stop and reduce crimes in our community to support victims of shootings. But to say every kid in the neighborhood has a gun, no, we need to make sure that we stop. Well, well, hold on, hold we, on. We try Rashid. to make sure that we stop more victims from happening because there's already a victim there. So hold on, we stop more victims. Robert never said that everyone in the neighborhood no, has a gun. Yeah, hold on a second. Go ahead. Robert never said that everyone in the neighborhood has got a gun. <laughs> and uh, we shouldn't refer to victims as crimes, as uh, isolated incidents. I mean, uh, if you remove all of the stats that Robert said and just go with the one stat, that is incontrovertible. More than 90 percent of the homicide victims in the city are, are black and Hispanic. So uh, you, you can't just disregard that. It's not logical. That is a true statement.
So we should focus on what more policing, stopping these guns from coming into the community, more breathing, stopping these guns and these these contraband from coming into the community. You're talking to somebody that understands some historic reality, the police, the 75th precinct. You want to watch that documentary? We could really get into the role that these systems have played with over policing our communities and taking advantage of everyday people who are not participating in crime you at know, all. Actually, the same communities, the same communities that were over policed are and that where they they, there was a pullback are now saying we want more officers. These these individuals arrested in the gang takedown in Brownsville, but they were they were terrorizing people according to the authorities. And that was the same way. Ten different nights ten different nights with the right? The, the churches was, was with the community uh, 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 during the 94 crime bill when it was locked up all these drug dealers because these guys in our community. But there was no one else that got the brunt of that. It was just the people who was on the ground selling drugs. So we've seen these trends of when issues happen. you saying that, oh, when they want to lock up these guys because of the gang violence. But we talk about the music industry, the fact that, that there's a lot of artists getting record deals, but nobody's stopping these record labels. So we're not going to say the community's just speaking to stop one area, one aspect. No, 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 no. I just, I want to, I want to be clear. I don't want, I, I don't, I'm, I don't want this to get mischaracterized. I'm simply saying that they had 32 individuals, what they called trigger pullers, video evidence of them actually shooting on the streets. Almost all of the shootings in more than two dozen in broad daylight. A three-year-old girl was one of the people who was wounded. These are residents of the very, they're, they're shooting in their own community. So it it's in terms of safety, in terms of the victims, and a lot a lot of that the households are headed by women. So it's like, what are you gonna what are you gonna do? The take I that those individuals should meet their, you know, they they should have to face law. Like I I am all for law and order when it pertains to individuals who are committing crimes. But I am also for holding all accountable because no different than we had the, the meeting with Mayor Adams and it was about drill music and we pointed to the homicide, the the 10 videos that we looked at were connected to 10 artists who are within situations and it's perpetuated within the violence and right. the community of those who do it within music. But Right, so Rashid, you're, you're talking about two things here. Uh, one is... Uh, a, so, a social disorganization, right? And when when a community is socially disorganized, and you're doing some work in that regard to help that, right, with your foundation. But when a community is is a social science issue, when the community is socially disorganized, they over rely on the police to be in their lives, and then the byproduct of that is that you resent the police for being too much in your lives, and, and that that's really the crux of social disorganization. So the communities need to be organized. And they need to police themselves. And and I'm sorry, I, I agree to police Robert there. Hold on, let me finish my point first. I agree. I have to agree with Robert there, where that's where personal responsibility comes in, right? I mean, free will is a killer. No one tells you to do what you have to do. So everyone bears some bit of personal responsibility. But Rob, free will. Okay, wait, okay. All right, let me bring in Robert. Let me yeah. bring, let, let me bring Robert in this because yeah. he raised the issue of the personal responsi responsibility. There's a sense a lot of people have that basically anything goes. You can blast your music in your car in a residential neighborhood at three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning on a weekday. There's no consequences. You can you can throw trash, dump trash wherever you want to dump it, which they're trying to trying to address. There's no consequences. That basically there's no consequences for anything. We we have to wrap this up here. So I want to get a final word from everybody. Robert, what do you think needs to be done to 
make New Yorkers, regardless of what the statistics are, make them feel safe. And it's like, like I mentioned over and over again, start enforcing the laws, especially quality of life issues, where many of my constituents are moving out because what they we have music on the weekends all night. Like you mentioned, people can't sleep. And when you can't sleep, your quality of life drops and people are moving out. And especially my constituents are fed up like everyone else in New York City. Anybody that says that, uh, again, our quality of life is OK in New York City or that it's not so bad. Crime is not up that much is fooling themselves. Bail reform has to be repealed. We have to start paying people who who uh, commit crimes have to pay a price. And that's what, you know, they're not, we're not doing in our courts. We're not doing it in our jail system. And I wouldn't worry about a few people uh, necessarily who may not have a speedy trial. That That is a problem, but I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on getting crime uh, and quality of life issues in focus here and solving it. We went through this in the 70s and 80s. Lisa, you know this, we went through all this. We had a much higher crime rate and we got it down, but we got it down by enforcing quality of life and broken windows. It worked. And you, but, but do you believe we can it, can it can come down without violating people's rights? Exactly. And and it, and it can come down. That means quality, start enforcing the smaller things uh, and you, you will see that'll take care of itself eventually. But again, bail reform has to be the cashless bail has to at be the top of the, at the top of the list. If we don't okay, do that, Rashid, just, we don't do Rashid, that. We're lost. OK, Rashid, I want to get a final word from you j just to give us an idea of, of what you've been doing with Guns for Grants and and have you seen successes? Yes. Uh, what I want to say is 38 prisons were built between 83 and 2000. And we still dealing with issues when it comes to crime right now, because in order to create a quality of life in the community, you have to create pathways for success and opportunities. That's the work we do with Guns for Grants. We work with the victims, we work with victims' families, and we also work with individuals who we want to curb from creating more victims into society by educating, mentoring, and actually giving them an access and an opportunity for college. When you think about the amount of jobs that are available and the skill sets that these young people need to meet them, we provide and fill in that gap so they can have more opportunities so there isn't an excuse for them to go out there and commit any type of crime because they now have a skill set that they can work with no and and, and that's and that's really great ralph uh, what needs to be done i mean 100 i'm on board with rasheed my issue is that i think the work that he's doing is commendable right this community outreach it's great but lisa this is not a zero-sum game both things have to they must coexist you need to have community outreach. You need the police to outreach to the community 100%. But you also need the enforcement of quality of life crimes. It starts right from the beginning, multi-tiered success. You have to get the aides that prosecute crimes. The cashless bail is killing us. And so even Mayor Adams has said, hey, that was a mistake, right? We need to repeal part of that or the whole thing, right? I don't want to misquote him, but even he acknowledged that cashless bail is a problem. So the work that Rashid is talking about, reaching out, community outreach, 100%. And this harkens back to what I just said earlier about social disorganization. The community itself has to get organized. They have to fight crime from within. But that does not mean that all the cops go on vacation at the same time. That You need enforcement of the law. You need quality of life crimes enforced. This creates the atmosphere of disorder on the streets where people don't feel safe. So both things can and must exist at the same and there's, time. There's a lot of, and there's a lot of layers to which we're not going to have time to get into. A lot of layers to it, yes. 
I want to thank I want to thank all of you for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Uh, Ralph Salento, Rashid Littlejohn, and City Council Member Robert Holden. Thank you all for being with us uh, for this episode of Speed Soldiers. And thank you for joining us. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.